Well, good morning, family. Hey, will you join me just in, in prayer real quickly again? Father, we pray that you would use the scriptures this morning. You, you would open our hearts to hear what you want us to hear. Um, that you would reveal yourself to us and um, show us your goodness, show us our need for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, family, it's good to gather together this morning to uh, remember what we just sang, that, that we need God. Our, my name is Ryan Latour. I'm one of the servant leaders here in our family. I spend most of our time, my time down in Jackson. And after the message this morning, this is heavy stuff. You might say, stay there. But uh, it's an honor to be up here uh, anytime I, I get to to share with our West Bend family. And uh, our hope is that by gathering together that we would be able to point uh, all of us to our true leader, Jesus Christ. So this morning, we're going to continue our series, Weep With Me, where we've been looking at the lost language of lament. And it was funny, um, myself and Troy were meeting with another friend of ours, and we were talking about this series that they were doing, and they're like, dude, six weeks is a long time to be sad. I was talking with another newer person to Jackson who grew up at Elmbrook, which I would call a pretty quality church, right? A pretty healthy church. And he's like, man, I have never heard a church do a series on the book of Lamentations. And I think the reason is because like my first friend said, man, six weeks is a long time to be sad. And he was kind of kidding. He was kind of serious, but he's, he's kind of just stating what society says. Man, just kind of brush it off. Move on. We don't have time for kind of all that emotional stuff. We just need to move on. But what we're proposing is that in order to be healthy, holistic followers of Jesus, lament is an essential part of that. I, I may have shared this in the past in brief, but not too long ago, a few years back, I had a relative who suddenly passed. No one saw it coming. Massive heart attack was probably dead the moment they, they fell to the floor, but everyone in our family was in shock. As happens in my family, when someone passes, I was asked to do the funeral. Uh, I obliged. I said, yes, I cared about this family member. I loved this family member. Um, and because they were a part of the, a member of the armed service, there was one part. I had given my message, kind of people had shared memories, things like that. And then there was a part in the service that I think was probably the most powerful part of the service. So what I want you to do is I want you to close your eyes with me. I want you to imagine that you've just lost someone who's dear to you. And then you hear this kind of rephrase. And so, because it was a part of the member of armed forces, they had guys live playing these bagpipes. And it was probably even louder than that. But it was a super emotive part of the gathering, part of the memorial service. Right? This is the kind where in a gathering like this, you just stop and you could hear a pin drop. Because everyone's attention is fixed and focused. During this... The grieving spouse, who's also someone I love and care for, who's also a, a relative of mine, was going around to everybody saying, cheer up. She didn't say it that loudly. But she was going around saying, cheer up. Be happy. Cheer up. 
be happy. And my heart just hurt. Because I was thinking, man, you're obviously grieving, but you think you shouldn't be. You think we should just cheer up and everyone should be happy and we should just move on and we should not lament and we should not grieve. And family, for many years, the context of the book of Lamentations, the people of Israel, for many years, God had sent these people called the prophets to tell his people, the Israelites, to return back to him in faithfulness, to keep the promise that they made to be faithful to him. And it's almost as if the people were just going around saying, it doesn't matter, cheer up. Be happy. It's not that big a deal. Cheer up. Be happy. And so as we turn to the context of Lamentations chapter 4 today, we're going to see the, the reality of the Israelites' lament. They're in a foreign land without really anything to be happy about. We're going to see the reason for their lament their own brokenness and and the brokenness of their leaders. And then we're going to see the redemption of their lament. God promises that they won't lament forever. So as we turn to Lamentations chapter 4, the Jewish people have been militarily conquered, taken away to a foreign land by the Babylonians because they turned their back on a promise that they made to be faithful to God and to follow Him. So after 700 years, God is like, okay, I'm going to give you the consequences of your choices. That's the context we find ourselves in, in Lamentations chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there with me. I think the page number is up here. Go ahead and turn in your app, turn in your own Bibles. Lamentations chapter 4, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. How the gold has lost its luster, the fine gold become dull. The sacred gems are scattered at the head of every street. How the precious sons of Zion, once worth their weight in gold, are now considered as pots of clay, the work of a potter's hand. Even jackals offer their breasts to nurse their young, but my people have become heartless like ostriches in the desert. Because of thirst, the infant's tongue sticks to the roof of its mouth. The children beg for bed, but no one gives it to them. Those who once ate delicacies are destitute in the streets. Those nurtured in purple now lie on ash heaps. The punishment of my people is greater than that of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment without a hand turned to helper. Their princes were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. Their bodies more ruddy than rubies. Their appearances like sapphires. But now they are blacker than suit. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as a stick. Those killed by the sword are better than those who die of famine. Wracked with hunger, they waste away for lack of food from the field. With their own hands, compassionate women have cooked their own children who become their food. When my people were destroyed, the Lord has given full vent to his wrath. He has poured out his fierce angle. He kindled a fire in Zion that consumed her foundations. And family, after 700 years of patience, the better part of it could be long. It was at least that long. could have been longer. After 700 years of patience, God takes his loving hand of protection away from the Israelites. And I, and I want to make it seem better than it is, but the reality is, is it's an awful situation. It's an awful situation. Look at verse 2. Gold to pots of clay. Verse 5, from delicacies to destitute. I mean, this passage even talks about compassionate moms becoming cannibals out of desperation. I want to paint a better picture of the reality of their situation, but I can't. It's awful. Especially compared to where they had come from and what they had had. If you put up that next image for me, please. 
You guys know who this is, right? I'm not trying to trick you here. This is Martha Stewart. And though much, much different than the situation the Israelites found themselves in, much, much less in terms of how awful it was, she had a pretty dramatic turn of events in her own life. If you remember, she was involved in some kind of insider trading, even though she wasn't sentenced exactly for that. She spent five months in prison, and she had to pay back $195,000 to the government. And she was found guilty. You know why? Because she was. Because she was. And she experienced a, a huge loss. She experienced for five months the loss of her freedom. She experienced a temporary financial loss. I think she's doing okay now again. (laughs) She experienced the loss of her image. And though her situation wasn't near as destitute as the situation the Israelites found themselves in and put themselves in, it was a dramatic reversal of fortunes. In in an interview, after she got out of prison, she had this to say, that you can make lemons out of lemonade, question mark. What hurts you make you stronger? No. None of those adages fit at all. It's a horrible experience. Nothing is good about it. Nothing, she said. And I don't know from experience, but I can imagine that what Martha has said is true. You see, the reality that the Israelites found themselves in is one that where they'd probably say the same. Nothing is good about it. You, you want to talk about loss. We've lost everything. We've lost everything. Why, though? We, we know why Martha experienced her loss. Why did the Israelites experience their loss? Let's continue reading. Verse 13. Verse 13. We'll go to 21. Verse 13, but it happened because of the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed within her the blood of the righteous. Now they grow up through their streets like men who are blind. They're so defiled with blood that no one dares to touch their garments. Go away, you're unclean, men cry to them. Away, away, don't touch us. When they flee and wander about, people among the nations say they can stay here no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He no longer watches over them. The priests are shown no honor. The elders no favor. Moreover, our eyes failed, looking in vain for help. From our towers we watched for a nation that could not save us. Men stalked us at every step, so we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were numbered, for our end has come, had come. Our pursuers were swifter than eagles in the sky. They chased us over the mountain and lay in wait for us in the desert. The Lord's anointed, our very life breath, was caught in their traps. We thought that under his shadow we would live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Eden, you who live in the land of us. But to you also the cup will be passed. You will be drunk and stripped naked. Verse 13 gives the reason for their loss. Their brokenness. Their sin. And now this technically and rightfully so, talks about the sin of the leaders. And we we could spend a whole message talking about that. I've got plenty. But what to apply it to all of us, I just want to talk about brokenness in general, because both are true if you read the book of Lamentations, the brokenness of the leaders and the brokenness of the people. But look at the leaders. They've gone from those who are respected and revered to being treated like lepers, uh, to people who others wouldn't even want to touch 
It says God himself has scattered them in verse 16. He no longer watches over them. Verse 17 references the fact that no nation could save them from the experience of their suffering. No one was coming to their rescue because their rescuer, they had said, we don't want you. It was meant to be God. But they said, we don't want you. It's a grim reality of the loss that they're experiencing at this point. And it's one of their own choosing. God didn't force their hand and make them choose to spiritually cheat on him. They chose that. And he's now justly disciplining their unfaithfulness. And I don't know about you, but, but sometimes, and I, I know at least from talking to some family members in Jackson, I read passages like this in the Old Testament that talk about God and they talk about his justice and his judgment. And if I'm honest, sometimes I feel a tad bit uncomfortable. And maybe you do too. Right? It's like, man, in an age where when I go in June and we have a soccer tournament in Richfield, we all get medals. And if I sneeze wrong, it's offensive. I mean, this is the age we live in, right? And I I read this and I'm like, man, God, did did you need to do that? Is this a little bit severe or maybe even is this... Just. Is this just? And I know we think this because I have conversations with you and you have conversations with me. And and we just need to acknowledge this because I think that sometimes we'd be like, man, and I could be like, I want to talk about God's love all the time, all the time, all the time. And that's an important part of the scripture. But God's love and God's justice are kind of like two sides of the same coin. They go together and you can't have one without the other. It's like a, well, not like an Oreo. That's a bad example, okay? But maybe where I'm going with this is we like the idea of talking about God's love, but when we talk about God's justice, we get a little sheepish. In an interview, again, the same interview after she had gotten out of prison, Martha says this. She added that she didn't like being separated from her family or being maligned, especially when one does not feel one deserves such a thing. Read this next part with me. I mean... Hey, wait, let's try that again. Okay, read this next part with me. I mean, I was not a bad person. Right? And all of us can relate with this statement. What is Martha saying when she says, I'm not a bad person? She's basically saying, I'm not like those other people in here. I'm not like them. I haven't done what they're done Meaning the ways that we see, you see their brokenness, that's way worse than the ways that you see my brokenness. Right? And we fight, family, to see ourselves as good people. And for others to see ourselves as good people. And isn't it true that we're constantly kind of comparing and contrasting ourselves with others that we can see? To kind of see how we measure up. To see where we stand, where we fit. But here's the question. What if we've got the wrong measuring stick? What if we've got the wrong measuring stick? What if we're not meant to compare and contrast ourselves with others? See, I think the, the reason that we struggle with, with thinking about God's justice and his judgment of sin is because we think, I'm not really a bad person. Because we compare ourselves to someone else who we think is a little bit worse. Right? I mean, you see this image. 
This is from Syria. This is from one of the chemical attacks. And we think, (laughs) we see leaders who are gassing their own people, and their people are dying these horrible deaths because of the chemicals. And we think, you know what? They deserve justice. And yet this next image, we gossip behind people's backs, maybe continually at times, and think, I'm not really that bad of a person. Or (laughs) we verbally hurt people with our words or with our actions, and we think, I'm not really that bad of a person. This next image. You guys know what this image is for, right? The college bribery, you want to call it scandal, whatever issue going on right now. And we think, they deserve justice. There's kids who didn't get into school because they paid off people to get their kids into school. They deserve justice. And yet, next image. We tell what we think are little white lies and think, I'm really not that bad a person. But family, I just want to challenge us. What if this mindset, I'm really not a bad person. What if this is wrong? What if it's formed more by culture than the scriptures? Psalm, I believe, 51.4, surely I was sinful from birth. What if this mindset is formed more by culture than the scriptures? What if outside of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit directing our lives, we are bad people? What if outside of God saving us from ourselves, isn't it true that we regularly think in terms of what is going to benefit me the most, what's going to be best for me, what's going to allow me to succeed, what's going to allow me to win, what's going to allow me to serve myself the most, what's going to allow me to sacrifice the least? Or am I the only one? I don't think I am. Let me be really clear. This is me outside of Jesus Christ. And and God, through my faith in Jesus, redeeming my life and repurposing it to love him and to love others. And this is still my heart when I live outside of his power and try and do life on my own. We were talking about this series, uh, Weep With Me With Our Kids at the Dinner Table. And I already knew the answers they were going to give me to the questions they asked, but I wanted to give them a chance to voice it. So I said, we're, we're talking about this series uh, on Lamentations, Weep With Me, and, and in essence, we're, we're talking about it's good to be sad. It's good to lament. And I said, kids, how, how well do you think Dad does at being sad? And maybe a nanosecond passed? Maybe. Could have been quicker than that. And guess what they said? Bad. You know what else they said, though? You're good at being angry. And we laugh, but it's true. And in those moments, I have to go back to my kids and say, you know what, kids, in essence, I lament the fact that in those moments, I'm not showing you what God is like. Unless my anger is just and I don't sin in it, but a lot of times it's not. See, those, those overt sins I mentioned above, they, they did it to my end. God's justice as well as many more we could add to it. We could make a whole list, right? But so do your and my not-so-overt sins. God doesn't rank them. He doesn't rank them. I mean, we didn't even get into the thoughts and motivations of our hearts that are constantly going on that no one sees, but that we know and that God knows, right? We haven't even got into that. 
Family, what if what we actually need is God's justice against our sins? What if we actually need that? What if that's actually a good thing? See, for 700 years, the the Israelites, they tried to, in essence, justify why they weren't bad people. All the long while they neglected the poor amongst them, while they unjustly charged exorbitant rates for borrowing money, while they unjustly sacrificed their kids to foreign gods just like the neighboring nations did, while their leaders unjustly led them down the path that they were on, all the while unjustly showing the nations around them who all the way back to Abraham they were called to bless and be a blessing to, and they showed them no difference between the nations and God's people. Unjustly towards God. And they didn't care. They didn't feel sorry. They were like, come on! Be happy! For 700 years, the Israelites lived this experience of trying to justify why they're really not bad people. They're trying to be self-justified. And I mean, the reality of the Israelites' loss, it was terrible. The reason for their loss was their own brokenness and and trying to be self-justified, to justify themselves. We're not that bad. Let's look at verse 22, though, for a hint at Israel's redemption from their loss. Verse 22. 22. O daughter of Zion, your punishment will end. He will not prolong your exile, but, O daughter of Edom, he will punish your sin and expose your wickedness. A daughter of Zion, your punishment will end. He will not prolong your exile. Were we to go ahead, you can do this for, you know, on your own, but were you to read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they they talk about kind of the experience after the 70-year exile of the Jewish people, the Israelites, has ended. And were you to read it, you would see both of these humble leaders, Ezra and Nehemiah, they, they tell God, even after everything the Israelites have experienced, you've treated us far better than what we deserved. Think about that. You read Lamentations 4 with me. You've treated us far better than we deserved. And they praise God for leading this small band of Israelites who would remain faithful to loving God and to loving others, a band who remembered the reality of their loss, who remembered the reason for that loss, but also looked forward past that and knew that God could redeem their loss, knew that God could redeem their lament. See, they knew what he says in Second Chronicles chapter 7. Right after this, if you look later on in this chapter, it, it predicts the experience of Lamentations chapter 4. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. Translation, when the reality of my people's lament really hits. When they realize the reason for their lament and when they turn from trying to justify themselves, we're not really that bad, we don't really need you, and turn to me to justify them. I'll forgive their sins. I'll heal 
their land. In the New Testament book of Second Peter, the author is talking about kind of the, the end times. And when God in once and for all, in his justice, will, will judge all sin, which we need him to do, which we want him to do. Because our world is not just at this point. But he hasn't done that yet. Look why it says he hasn't done that. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Family, God the Father would not be just if he didn't judge our sins and the sins of the whole world. God justly judging our sin is really the only way to have relationship between one who's fully just and those who aren't. It's the only way. And what is standing between you or me and God the Father in relationship with him where he declares us right, just, where he declares us forgiven, where he gives us identity as his dearly loved sons and his daughter is us saying, I'm not really that bad of a person. I don't really need God. I can justify myself. I don't need him to justly judge my sins, declare me right, give me what I don't deserve. I don't really need you, God. And at which, that, if, that, if that's the choice we make, God, the Father laments, I would think, from what we just read, because it says he doesn't want any to perish, apart from his just judgment of their sin. He wants you and me to lament our sin to where we can come to repentant, repentance so that he could redeem our lament. And family, when we come to that point, the amazing thing is he repurposes our hearts and our lives. He fills us with his Holy Spirit and he allows our lives to show his justice to a watching world, pointing others to him, bringing honor to Jesus. Jesus. 